Hi everyone, I'm Ricardo Gonsalves and welcome to this podcast of Small Business Secrets. Well, many businesses are being encouraged to have a sustainable element to be successful these days and that's what we'll be focusing in this podcast. We'll speak with the founder and owner of Luxme about how they're building sustainable furniture and Oz Harvest. How is that company working with corporates to boost revenue? All of that and plenty more in this podcast of Small Business Secrets. Coming up, switching to sustainability and how it can boost your small business. Renewable rewards, the ice cream company slashing emissions and boosting profit and bearing fruit. The neighbourhood trading scheme turning pickles into profit. I think people are looking for more than just somewhere to have coffee and eat bacon and egg roll, you know. They actually want to connect. Hello, I'm Ricardo Gonsalves and welcome to Small Business Secrets. Also coming up on the program, we speak with Ronnie Khan, the founder of Oz Harvest. But first, did you know? A sustainable business is one that manages a triple bottom line, financial, social and environmental, or profits, people and planet. More small businesses are trying to be sustainable and that's increasing their profitability. In fact, concern for costs was the main reason for addressing sustainability, with 33% of businesses saying it improved their bottom line. The Rowles family business was born out of frustration. Disgusted with the quality of the flat-packed furniture he was buying to help his youngest daughter move out of home, Sahindra Rao decided to make his own. Together with his eldest daughter Priyanka, he came up with a plan to make it cheaper, better and more sustainable. It isn't easy to run a family furniture business in the age of IKEA, but in the 20 years since Suhindra started Luxme, it's grown an average of 15% each year. Not bad in a sector that's sluggish at best. We've not only got a service-based business where we provide goods for other people, uh, but we've also got a product-based business. So we've got a large catalogue of Australian design product, and that means that um, because of that balance and diversity of what, what our offer is, we're a very strong business overall. We have no direct competitors. We have competitors for parts of our business, but nothing for the whole thing. Sahindra's daughter and the business's CEO Priyanka says they've had to think outside the box to take on the flat pack giants. In the consumer market was something we hadn't really tried. So we launched a technology venture called Evolvex where you could design your own flat pack furniture online which um, just went viral. We developed our app TestFit, uh, I suppose to allow the customer to look at what our furniture would look like in their space, intended space, so in your office or in your home. And so what it actually does is it takes a 3D model of our product and then superimposes it over the camera of your phone to actually give you a view of what it looks like. In terms of that buying experience, it's like if you took it from the store into your house, went, okay, yep, yep, I approve of it, and then you've taken it back to the store to purchase it. And they realised early on their customers valued a sustainable manufacturing chain. We 
became a sustainable business in 2005. We use timber from plantation forests and we use timber that has recycled content. So we're very careful on material as well. We use in the upholstery shop water-based glues. It's not just making the furniture. The design process is also sustainable and it's helping boost Australian products. In terms of European design, it takes quite a long time to get here and yes you are supporting a European designer but Australian design has just as much value and stands up just as strongly in the, into the international market and the benefit is you get that to market in a much shorter lead time as it's made here. So you're saving on that freight cost. So by buying this chair, you're helping out an Australian designer as we pay a royalty to him every time this chair is purchased. Running a sustainable business is more expensive, but it's paid off for the rouse. To change what we bought in terms of material did cost more initially. Uh, over time though, we've made it quite efficiently and in fact now we get onto projects and, and uh, get opportunities that are only available to those who have those certifications. So we've benefited a lot in the long term. The Rao's shared commitment to sustainability is part of the reason their business partnership works. That's not to say it's always easy. In fact, Priyanka didn't even consider working with her father until fairly recently. If you'd asked me 10 years ago if I'd be working in the family business, I would have said no. Right. Um, but it's been the best decision I've ever made. So what did you study then? I studied architecture. I worked in the industry for a little bit and then I decided that I wanted to explore entertainment and do something a bit different. So I was lucky enough to get a job in the music industry at a record label. During that time, I was doing a master's degree in business. Got to the end of the degree, I was having a chat with dad about what my future looked like and he said, well, actually I need someone to help me with marketing. And so I saw it as a great challenge. The Rao started exporting about five years ago, prompted by a weak Aussie dollar. That made us a lot more competitive to the global marketplace and also just a, a, I guess a drive to want to expand to more territories as well. Their multicultural workforce has also helped their export business grow. In the last couple of years we have expanded to Asia Pacific in terms of our export and our supply chain as well and having a multicultural workforce has been an absolute asset in trying to work out how to do business in different countries. Bucking the manufacturing decline using innovation and craftsmanship with a conscience. Green ice cream might not sound like much of a draw card, but that's what serendipity wants to be known for. The award-winning business has managed to reduce its overall waste by 29% while still achieving double-digit growth. Camille Bianchi explains. This year, Serendipity will produce half a million litres of ice cream and zero CO2. I just felt it was time that we put our money where our mouth was in terms of environmental credentials. So I bit the bullet and um, overnight we switched to 100% green energy. That was 10 years ago. Since then, sustainable practices have upped the electricity bill by 20%, accounting for 3% of overheads. Food miles is part of the issue. We try to source Australian products first. We use local milk and cream. We use blood orange juice that comes from the Riverina. The business buys carbon credits to offset unavoidable emissions, like fuel and freezers. Yeah, that could be 3% profit, but by the same token, I like sleeping at night. One of my distributors calls me a crazy tree hugger. Mind the step. 
But this owner says cutting waste cuts costs too, and its eco-message is luring conscientious consumers. There is a huge groundswell from the public about not only where the food comes from, how it's grown, what, what ingredients are used, but also the general ethics behind a business. And she's not alone in the effort. I can't be here all the time, so it's absolutely crucial to get my staff involved in the processes um, or else it's just not going to happen. 60% of ice cream sales are to shops and restaurants. The rest is bought by the litre or scoop at Miss Dippity's dessert bar. Over the past 10 years, Serendipity has produced green packaging like this, which has helped the company reduce its waste by almost 75%. The business has even scooped up sustainability accolades to join a slew of product prizes. Really what we've done is we've kind of chipped away at the block. There are a whole bunch of little things and when you add all of those little things up, that's what makes the difference. Serendipity's newest flavour is conservation. Every sale of white chocolate and lilypilly contributes to rainforest protection. As she walked around her Western Sydney neighbourhood, Alex Elliot Howery became increasingly troubled by the amount of fallen fruit she saw in backyards. So she started knocking on doors and experimenting with preserves. Soon people were bringing their fruit to her and what began as a neighbourhood trading scheme grew into a thriving business. I'm Alex Elliott-Howery and I um, opened Connorsmith with my husband James Grant in 2012. We've got two cafes now and we've got a picklery and a cooking school. And we have a cookbook which came out Christmas last year and we are in the midst of another one. I guess it's just started off as a little idea is that we wanted a cafe that we would want to go to which was good food, good coffee, good vibes but also it had kind of a philosophy attached to it as well. Not long after that we opened the picklery, which is where we um, make all of our pickles and run our cooking classes as well. The workshops are at about 20% of what we do at the moment and I have very limited staff that look after that, actually one person, um, so I, you know, we, we, don't have, we haven't put heaps of resources into it and I feel like that's probably the next thing that we need to do. We set up a trading program when we first started. So they bring their stuff into us, we give them a jar of pickles or coffee or whatever it might be. Um, and then if it's a large amount, we turn it into preserves up here. And if it's a small amount, it gets used on the cafe menu. It reduces food waste. Um, there's also zero food miles because people are just bringing it straight to us. So Matthew has a cold pressed juice company called Rainy Lane. This is the pulp that's left over after he makes the juice and we, our head chef Sabina, who we call the waste warrior, has started taking it on and she dehydrates this um, and uses it as a dried herb. Obviously we're getting a whole lot of produce and we're not paying anything for it, but really like buying a box of lemons at the markets when it's in season actually doesn't cost you that much money. Really work with the seasons, reduce waste, know what was going into our food, be transparent about where it was coming from. Like all the products that we use in our cafe have a really high value on them. Like it costs us all the money to use those products. We thought we would go into the wholesale kind of range of selling our pickles and our preserves on bulk scale 
And I realised that really the only way to do that is to be importing um, you know, Chinese onions that are already sliced, already done, and, get, and, and that's the way that people do this and they make money from it. And I was just like, we're not doing it. The community and all of our customers are so attached to the involvement that we have with the community, the philosophy we have, the environmental you know, choices that we make, and that's what ends up being making us money. I think people are looking for more than just somewhere to have coffee and, and bacon and egg roll, you know? They actually want to connect. Ronnie Kahn believes no one likes to see good food go to waste and this simple sentiment has been integral to her success. She set up Oz Harvest 12 years ago, calling on businesses to give leftover food to charities instead of throwing it in the bin. It's now one of Australia's most successful social enterprises. Ronnie Kahn spoke with Sana Kadar. Ronnie, so before you started Oz Harvest, you were actually running your own small business, an events business. How did that lead to the idea for this? Well, every single day in my event business, one of the aspects of an event is food. So I was constantly providing beautiful food to make my clients look abundantly successful and very generous. And it meant that there was over-catering. And so when I realised that actually I wanted to know what my purpose was, I knew that there was food, I knew there were people in need, and it seemed like if I could connect those two, it might be a good thing. Financially though, how difficult was it to make the decision to leave the security of your income, your business, and start a charity? Well, I worked full-time in my business for the first six years while I ran Oz Harvest because I hadn't started Oz Harvest because I was financially secure. I started it to fill my own purpose and need. So seeking into that was challenging, but not challenging enough not to do it. <laughs> I'm happy. I'm tidying up because I'm so embarrassed about my messy desk. So how difficult then was it to get your first sort of sponsor, your first donor on board? Was there much skepticism to the idea? No, look, the beautiful thing was I walked into my first um, meeting and I'd never asked for money for anything other than going to pitch business ideas. So all I did was I walked in and I said, hi, I'm here to tell you that what I'm going to do is start a food rescue organization and what I'd love is if you would support me. I mean, there was so much excitement in me that luckily nobody asked me what my business plan was because I have to tell you there wasn't one. I just knew what I was going to do but luckily the first people that I pitched this to was actually the Macquarie Bank Foundation and they were that first foundation that had already started investing in social startups. And now this is sort of the home of Oz Harvest here. This is us and we have scaled up somewhat you know in our first year we collected the equivalent of about 500,000 meals. Last year, which is in our 12th year, we delivered the equivalent of 12 million meals. So I think you can see that we have scaled up significantly. Has there been any growing pains in that process? I mean, that's a huge you know, growth. Absolutely, there are always growing pains. First of all, to match capacity and resources. The growing pains were human resources. We are fully philanthropically funded, which means that all our funding comes either from individuals or from foundations or from trusts. We do have our, um, a revenue stream now, which is 
helping us. What is that? So one of our beautiful opportunities is a program called Cooking for a Cause. It's an engagement piece for us. We invite corporates who are always looking for team building ideas. They have a three hour cooking class. They make beautiful food. They get to taste just a little, but the bulk of those meals get delivered out at the end of their session and put on the table of someone in need. And so how much has that boosted your funding? That allows for about an eighth of our annual expenditure, which is phenomenal because that means I only have to raise seven eighths and that allows, you know, a significant money to come in. So it is a way for us to share the message, to minimize food waste, to raise money because we sell the plates for ten dollars costs us around eight and a half million dollars to deliver. This year we'll deliver over 15 million meals. And thank you all for coming and thank you. And I'm sure... And so organizationally, what's the biggest challenge you sort of face now? So of course, if you're completely philanthropically funded, our biggest challenge is sustainability to make sure that we're here for the long haul. You know, we could never take for granted that money will come walking in the door. We've had our social return on investment measures. So, you know, a business might say the ROI is. We say we have our SROI, which has been measured by Bain. And so our SROI having been measured currently at $5.68 for every dollar invested. And so how much of your role specifically then is relationship management? I'd say a huge part of my role is about managing our partners. You know, people, work with, support, give money to people they like. That's the facts. And so we hope that we're absolutely lovable <laughs> and that in order to have those relationships, you just need to love people and be able to work with them. And so for me, managing those relationships is a huge part of my role. You know, you've got all these incredible partnerships built. Yes. How much do you think your business background has played a role in the success of Oz Harvest? Could you have done it without that? And I could never have done it without my business background, without the connections. Absolutely, these days, a charity isn't just about a good heart. It's about efficiency, it's about economics, it's about delivery, it's about impact. And there's no doubt that the more business skills you have, the more effective and efficient your charity is going to be. I think one of the differentiators for Us Harvest has absolutely been that when we started Us Harvest 12 years ago, I ran it like a business from day one. I'm dealing with other people's money. You know, there's a huge responsibility around that. For anyone who talks about measuring their profitability, I won't call us a not-for-profit because you would not call Apple or Google or Microsoft a not-for-loss. Why should you call us a not-for-profit? We are a for-impact or a for-purpose. We have profit, we just measure it in a very different way. With solar panels on one and a half million Australian homes and residential battery sales on the rise, more and more consumers are taking control of their electricity. Reposit's aim is to help them. The Canberra startup connects households with spare energy 
to households buying spare energy and its battery technology has just been taken up by Tesla. Tech-savvy Reposit customers are taking charge of their power. The sun shines on their solar panels, their residential battery is charged and the Reposit software decides how to use the energy. It uses information about the weather, information about the grid and current uh, electricity prices and it basically uses all of that information to make an intelligent decision about what your battery should do continuously throughout the day. The brains behind Reposit are co-founders Lachlan Blackhall and Dean Spacavento. They want their customers to save money and pay off the outlay for solar systems and home batteries quicker. We make a piece of residential electricity storage work hard, work harder than it, that can, it can without Reposit so that it pays itself back off faster. The systems and control theory expert and the electricity whiz had the idea in 2011 and founded the company in 2013. Now, with 16 employees and hundreds of customers all over Australia, they showed me why there is such a big fuss over this tiny device. It knows what your best interests are. It says get the bill down. It knows that that's the thing that you want. Uh, and so it does everything it possibly can several times a second to be able to do that. While your power bill is going down, Reposit is smart enough to store energy in your home battery. Energy you can sell back to the grid. Energy storage and the software for to control energy storage is, a really, is in a really interesting position at the moment because Australia is the stage the whole world is looking at to understand how you successfully deploy and use residential energy storage. Reposit recently partnered with US energy company Tesla so its software can be used with Tesla batteries called Powerwalls. It's a payoff for the two entrepreneurs who had a number of false starts in startups. And they say being in a green business is becoming financially sustainable. Yes, now is a very, very good time to start up. It probably would have been better to start up two or three years ago uh, because the complexity of the industry is such that it takes you 24, 36 months to understand who the players are, understand what the actual motivations in the industry are, understand what the technology looks like, who the regulators are, what they want from you, understanding the path of regulation. When we first had the idea, it was considered crazy to even talk about residential energy storage because why would customers ever want to have a battery in their house? And we get to 2016 and not only is it not crazy anymore, it's going to become very commonplace. 15% of Australian homes currently have solar panels, the highest rate in the world. That's expected to increase to 50% over the next 10 years, boosting the industry to $24 billion and powering the small business solar sector for many years to come. And that is it for the program. If you do have any questions about your small business, why not ask KPMG Enterprise? We have their expertise and hand to help. The details are on our website. Don't forget, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram, and you can watch Small Business Secrets anytime on SBS On Demand. I'm Ricardo Gonsalves. See you next time. And that is all we have time for in this podcast of Small Business Secrets. Don't forget, though, you can find us on both Facebook and Instagram. Just search for Biz Secrets SBS or Small Business Secrets. And don't forget, there is more on our website, sbs.com.au forward slash news. You can find us there. I'm Ricardo Gonsalves. I'll speak to you soon.